Hi, this is Esti, host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from... No a- change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power... W-O-R-T, 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. First of all, thanks to those of you who pledged and donated the last two weeks. This show did fairly well, but we did not actually um, get to our goal either week. And um, you can still donate if you would like to do that today. Go to wartfm.org and uh, click on the Donate button and you can still claim Premia. We would appreciate it um, if, if you do that. I... Uh, heard about the horrific events that started on the 7th of October, more or less as they um, started. I am in the habit of uh, listening to the news before I go to bed. So at midnight on October 6th, I uh, heard the start of um, the incursion into Israel. I'm an Israeli, in case you don't know. Uh, been living in Madison for a long time, but still more Israeli than American. And I have supported pal- the, pal- the rights of Palestinians to their own country and to live in peace since my teen years. So I was very concerned right away, uh, both for the Israelis and um, for the Palestinians. Uh, it beca- became so much worse the next day than worse still. My heart ached and still aches for the children, women, men, elderly who died, were injured and taken hostage um, on that terrible day. And now the barbarity of the attack and siege on Gaza doing the exact same but on a genocidal scale is horrifying to me. The Israelis have been dropping more bombs on that tiny area in less than a week than the U.S. dropped on all of Afghanistan in a year. They're killing, injuring, destroying homes and infrastructure, starving children and women, including 50,000 pregnant women, men, the elderly, attacking schools and hospitals and preventing medicine, water, food, fuel, and electricity from coming to the strip. And all of this with the full support of my other country, the United States, under the Biden democratic government, the one that condemns incessantly Russia for the atrocities it commits against Ukraine on a much lesser level than what Israel is doing currently to Gaza. Whatever moral standing the U.S. has had in the world is now gone. Instead of calling for, or better yet, enforcing restraint, it is now a major participant in what is happening. And the question is, what for? Israel may be able to eradicate Hamas, but the children who somehow survive this madness will grow up wanting revenge. 
already now other countries and organizations are likely to get involved and this may turn into a major regional or world conflict and of course there's a lot we do not hear on the American media so we'll be talking about it today my guests with us uh, currently are Jonathan Kutab from Bethlehem he's a Palestinian human rights lawyer founder of Al-Haq the Palestine's preeminent human rights organization and several other organizations including Nonviolence International Jonathan's 2021 book Beyond the Two-State Solution is available to download online at no charge also with us is Yahav Zohar who is from Jerusalem Israel he's a senior member of the Green Olive Collective, and we are hoping to um, also be joined by Rifat Al-Arir, who is in Gaza City, is co-editor of Gaza Unsilenced. His writings have appeared in the New York Times. We are not surprised that we cannot um, get to him. He tweeted this morning at um, Gaza Genocide, Will this be our last sunrise? We are staying. Some families left to other areas, also bombed by Israel. If we are bombed anyway, many believe we must stay wherever we are, but also to prevent another Nakba displacement of native Palestinians. Let's uh, start with you, uh, Jonathan, if you want to uh, give us your general thinking about what's going on right now. And yeah, let's let's just start with that. Well, uh, I, I, I will say two quick things. The first thing, this didn't just happen. This didn't come out of the blue. Hamas didn't decide to, to, to attack Israel. But this is the culmination of a long series of attacks on the Palestinian people, including the people of Gaza, who are under six, for 16 years, they've been under siege, they've been attacked. Uh, they've been attacked physically, they've been attacked uh, in, in their identity as Palestinians, and their religion, with the attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque with the most right-wing fascist government in Israel. Uh, so, so this was more like a jailbreak, uh, people breaking out of a jail. And yes, they carried out some very nasty things, including attacks on civilians, which should not be allowed at all. But, but the first point that I want to make is, let's see this in the context of what's going on. This didn't just happen. My second point, and, and then I will uh, open up for your questions and responses, is, is that we are really actually witnessing how genocide occurs. It starts by dehumanizing your enemy, whoever they are. Uh, they, they are called human animals. Uh, they should be treated accordingly. They are treated as... Uh, the, the very word, terrorist, you don't view them as a national people who are fighting for their independence. They are terrorists. They are beyond the pale. They are unacceptable. They are expressions of pure evil. So you start by demonizing Hamas, and then you demonize all of Gaza, and then you demonize all the Palestinian people. It is all part of the same plan. And you start by demonizing them, and then... Anything you do to them, 
or anything that's connected with them or anything that's around them or anybody who supports them or anybody who shows sympathy with them all become evil that can and uh, that are legitimate uh, actions for attack. I am extremely worried that what we are seeing is genocide in the making. And, and the first thing that, that uh, Netanyahu did was not try and get the, the hostages back, but try and get a green light, particularly from the United States, but also the Western world, to do whatever we need to do. Whatever we need to do doesn't include making peace, doesn't include negotiating for a prisoner exchange, doesn't include calling for a ceasefire. Whatever it takes means being allowed and given the green light to avoid international law, to avoid responsibility, so that you can do whatever you want without having any uh, responsibility or accountability. Yeah. Um, Yahab, um, let me ask you the same question. What um, What is your general... Uh, observe, what are your general observations about what's going on right now? And tell us also what is the Green Olive Collective? All right. Uh, those are two quite different things. Yeah. Um, so the Green Olive Collective is um, a group of Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, we started with many of us are tour guides. Uh, we started as a company that's offering tours uh, that are trying to tell a shared narrative, a combined narrative, uh, one that advocates for universal human and civil rights, uh, for democracy, uh, for equality in this country, one that respects different narratives and identities in this country. And alongside tours, we've also grown to do other kinds of advocacy work, um, as well as supporting communities on the ground. Um, generally, we all come from this idea that we need find, to find ways to live together uh, more equally, more peacefully, more freely in this small country. And we're all I think terribly disheartened is not a strong enough word, but yeah. by the events uh, of the last few days. And I think Jonathan is very much correct in saying this didn't come out of nowhere. This is the culmination or uh, a culmination of a long process. And one thing which I think is important to point out is that the Netanyahu and the Israeli right have for many years empowered Hamas, fostered Hamas, because they prefer a Palestinian entity or government that can be presented as part of the axis of evil. They prefer uh, Palestinians uh, using rockets rather than going to the UN. Uh, in their conception, uh, where their priority, the Israeli right, is blocking the possibility of a Palestinian state, 
equality or of any kind of equality for Palestinians. Um, as long as the fight is a military one, Israel wins. Mm -hmm. uh, Palestinians like Al-Haq, who, who turn to, to using law, to using advocacy for rights, to using, are much more dangerous, actually, uh, to the Israeli system of control. And Netanyahu has chosen to keep Hamas in power uh, and to allow its funding. Uh, and he's said so on different occasions. It's better to keep Palestinians divided, have Hamas in Gaza and Abbas in the West Bank, to weaken Abbas and empower Hamas. Uh, I don't think that he saw this coming. I think yeah. he believed that they have Hamas somehow under control, that as long as they keep feeding it money, it's going to somehow keep quiet. I think this is backfired. Yeah. But Hamas wouldn't be where it is, so powerful, so armed, so organized, uh, without many years of Israeli enablement and, in fact, support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Jonathan, that is, I, I think what Yahav has just said is so interesting. Um, first of all, um, that that um, the Israeli government, and especially the, the, the right wing, has supported Hamas. And, and originally, I believe they did it uh, because they wanted it to fight against the PLO. And so if you want to talk about that, but also Yahav's uh, thought that people like you are considered more dangerous than the Hamas because you are talking about ways to make peace and to um, to to make uh, to allow the Palestinians to uh, be their own people in their own country, and that is more dangerous to people like Netanyahu than people who come with with Kalashnikovs or, or you know whatever weapons they have. Jonathan. Uh, yes, that is true, and uh, in, 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 in fact, uh, the, 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 the word terrorist is meaningless, uh, because they have also said that Al-Haq, the human rights organization, they call it terrorist. Uh -huh. And then they talk about uh, diplomatic terrorism, uh, to try and bring them to justice before the International Criminal Court is diplomatic terrorism. Uh, so, uh, so we have to take words like terrorism with a grain of salt, but also we have to be very concerned and worried about words because they are used to give legitimacy uh, to what is otherwise totally uh, illegitimate uh, activity and actions. Yeah. Tell us, uh, Jonathan, of course, all eyes are on Gaza and for very um, good, bad reasons. But I understand that in the West Bank, you are also um, under um, somewhat of a siege. You're not allowed to move in between um, cities uh, that the settlers are rampaging. Tell us what you know about what's going on there. Well, I, I heard that uh, nine people were killed today uh, in the West Bank. By settlers? Uh, uh, by, by, by soldiers and by uh, Settler. settlers. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the West Bank, people don't realize how tiny 
the whole land is. I mean, they show you a map of Gaza, uh, and they don't tell you the whole thing is only like 20 miles long and between five and eight miles wide. Uh, and, and the West Bank is so tiny, but it's been cut up into all sorts of small islands, uh, which are disconnected from each other. And it's really simply put huge uh, mounds of earth or rocks or uh, cement to blockade all Palestinian villages and towns and, and, and entrances so people cannot move and, 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 and uh, communicate with one another. Uh, so this is the situation in the West Bank. And of course, uh, we are very afraid. We have already seen that 62% of the West Bank, what's called Area C, they are systematically trying to ethnically cleanse that and get all the Palestinians out of it so that they can, in fact, in, in, in law, not just in fact, an exit into Israel. So for many years, people thought maybe the solution is a two-state solution. Maybe if you give the Palestinians a state in 22% of Palestine, uh, somehow that that, that, that will uh, work out. Today, there is no two-state solution. Now, today, there is only basically one state, and, and that state, they want to keep it Jewish. And how can you keep a state Jewish when half the people in it are not Jews? Uh, so that uh, apart from any ideology, uh, it simply doesn't work. This is apartheid, and I'm using the word in its technical legal sense, where, where one group has all the rights and uses law and regulations to dominate and oppress another uh, group or groups of people uh, throughout the land. So Israel has taken a choice. They don't want to be a democracy. They want to be a state of the Jews, for the Jews, by the Jews. And, and as such... They have to keep Jew, uh, non-Jews uh, in a situation of control, in a situation of domination. Uh, this is the situation we find ourselves in. And again, it's, you know, apart from any moral uh, strictures, this is not a, a, a situation that can last uh, for a long time. Sooner or later, it collapses and it has collapsed. Yeah, and of course there are precedences. We, if you read the uh, the history of Jews, for example, in the um, what's called Old Testament, uh, you see that uh, situations like that have resulted in the past, in the in the ancient past, by uh, the Jews being exiled from their land um, twice. Um, but you have. Um, Back to you. Oh, so we have heard from Rifat. He's trying to uh, join us, but his access to Internet is poor. So hopefully he will be able to join us. Um, you have. Oh, and I also want to remind you that you can still uh, donate today at wordfm.org. And uh, we would really appreciate seeing some donations Um if you appreciate the show and everything that we have uh, brought to you. Um, you have um, 
Jonathan said earlier that Israel was immediately looking for a green light from the United States and Europe and um, and um, they um, they have succeeded absolutely but they also have um, sought and succeeded in getting green light from the opposition by creating the whatever they call it the emergency government the government that includes also the opposition which um, followed the this weird phenomenon of just last Saturday, Hundreds of thousands of Israelis were going to demonstrate against Netanyahu as they have for many, many weeks. And then uh, when this happened, suddenly they have, I shouldn't say all, I don't know, but it seems like many of them have uh, responded to the call to um, join the reserve forces. 300,000 people um, expected to attack Gaza. Talk about that, if you will. Right. So, first of all, the opposition um, is a sad case of who those people are. But um, the, the main person who joined, uh, Mr. Gantz, uh, he campaigned um, when he tried to run for prime minister a few years ago. Uh, his first ad was drone shots uh, of Shajaia, uh, bombed out of a Gaza neighborhood that when he had bombed as chief of staff of the Israeli army. And he said, oh, I sent Gaza back to the Stone Age. That was his. He was very proud of that. And Mr. Gantz is also the one who, as Minister of Defense, uh, gave the order to shut down, I believe, also Al-Haq uh, and uh, other human rights organizations, which he called terrorists. So, yeah, we don't have a lot to expect uh, from this centrist party of generals which has now joined uh, the Netanyahu government um, and the mainstream uh, of the Israeli public is very easy to rally into wars this has always been true um, Netanyahu has always known this uh, it's one of the ways when he's in trouble for corruption or on other issues um, is always to pull towards some war because that rallies people together. And certainly this event, um, these um, massacres in the Israeli villages, a very powerful emotional stuff for Israelis is a very powerful rallying element where the enemy becomes absolute evil and we have to rally together. The sad fact of it is, and I think it's true about 9-11 and other events, in the first moments a visceral response is for most people is let's go get them, even if we don't know exactly who they are or what getting them means. And the, the process we see in Israel over and over is, which I think also is similar to the U.S. in its foreign wars, it's only when um, Israeli soldiers start dying. 
start coming home and wrapped up in flags uh, is when people start saying, wait, what is this war actually about? Why are we doing this? What is this for? And there's always a very small group. Um, When these protests happen against these wars, when they break out and I go to these protests, it seems to me always I know all the faces of the people who are consistently against a bomb in Gaza, who are consistently against these military operations raiding into civilian population on the first day. Um, it's, it's been true for years. It doesn't seem to be changing now. I, I keep hoping it will. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, well, first of all, thanks you. Thank you to the people who donated so far today, Matthew and Stephen Walvin. Appreciate hearing from both of you and, and uh, welcoming many others to um, to join them either online or you can call at 608-256-2001 and talk to our receptionist. But I think we prefer that you do it online. Um yeah, and, and I've been talking, of course, to people in Israel and hearing things like from people who have been demonstrating against Netanyahu saying, well, I don't like to see babies killed, but now that they did that, we have no choice. So, um, Jonathan, uh, one thing I want to hear from you is what do you think will happen when Israel, if, well, probably if, when Israel succeeds in obliterating Gaza at a terrible price in human lives and and not just human lives, but uh, what happens then? Like, has, has anything been solved? Well, uh, that, that, that question was asked uh, by, by, by some uh, journalists directly, and they said, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. Uh, the, the truth is, Israel has no plan no response uh, because I don't think it can destroy or eliminate the Palestinian people. It can kill a lot of them. It can maybe even deport several hundred thousand, maybe even half a million. Uh, It can disenfranchise them, give them no rights. It can demonize them all at once. In the end, they are there and you have to have some kind of uh, answer. Uh, This is why in my little book, Beyond the Two-State Solution, I talked a lot about this, that Zionism has really failed with every possible advantage on its side. And Palestinian nationalism has also failed. We cannot have Palestine Arabiyya when there's about 7 million Jews living in it and they're going nowhere. And you can't eliminate them. And you can't have a Jewish state with 7 million non-Jews living in it, and even if you try, you can't really eliminate them. We have to start thinking in new terms. We have to find ways to live together because that is our fate. It may be fair, not fair. Uh, I'm not even interested anymore in that kind of discussion, who is right and who has more rights and who did what to whom. In the end, we have to live together. And you cannot live together by having one group dominate the other. 
It has to be on the basis of equality and justice and fairness. Yeah, I want to ask you, Jonathan, about something else because I um, participated in a Zoom um, meeting with you. I, I mean, I was just in the audience a couple of days ago, and, and you said something very perceptive that I want to ask Yahav about too, um, that Israel has a um, collective trauma um, from the Holocaust most recently and before that the pogroms and so on. And uh, it can't think beyond that, I think, is pretty more or less what you said. Um, I, I'd like to hear what you, you know, it in your words and how you understand it. It is something that I realized um, some, some time ago as I was working on my own um, stuff and peeling layers and realizing that under that Israeli... brave, fearless um, um, face, there's actually a tremendous amount of fear inside me that I wasn't even aware of. So, and, and I realized that this is Israel and that Israel runs on fear. And so I would like to ask you to give your understanding of this and how this is, you know, a main reason for the way Israel is behaving and, and what can be done about it. Jonathan. Wow. Um, okay, I yeah, wish I knew the answer to the last part. Um, what could be done about it? Um, I've always felt that way, that like, a very important part of moving forward is sort of reassuring Israelis that we're not actually on the brink of destruction, that it is a powerful and armed and technological and wealthy state supported by the U.S., and that we can take a breath and look around and think in the long term, uh, what do we want to see here? Where are we going? Uh, but certainly the Israeli mainstream has not done that. It's trapped in this fear, which is all the time maintained with taking high school kids on trips to concentration camps, with uh, giving us the feeling that the world is dangerous and anti-Semitic and against us at all times, uh, with um, a lot of comparisons equating somehow connecting Palestinians to the people who persecuted Europe. persecuted Jews in Europe and elsewhere in the past. Um, so the Israeli mainstream is certainly trapped in that cycle um, of, of fear and of a sense that we're just holding on and on the verge of destruction and therefore whatever we do to protect ourselves is much better than what would happen if we didn't. Unfortunately, Uh, the place where this may be changing uh, is the religious right. Uh, is people like Ben Gvir and Smotrich uh, who are not at all, I think, shocked by these most recent events, who actually might be seeing them as part of some step towards the Messiah. Uh, the all-out war that needs to happen for them to make their perfect Jewish state. Uh, the, the opportunity for 
um, another Nakba or a genocide or some event which would allow, like they would also say, I think, what Jonathan has said, that Zionism has so far failed or is stalled or is stuck or is and needs in their vision to move forward to a real Jewish state, which would also be a religious Jewish state. And in this way, there's quite a few similarities between them and Hamas. Yeah. And so for I think they're the they're the biggest group in Israel which has in some way broken through this fear. Because they have absolute faith that God is on their side, that mm. everything that's happening is stages towards the rebuilding of the temple, the coming of the Messiah. And although they are by no means a majority, they are a very powerful group, and they're group powerful also because they have a vision, yeah. uh, because they're powerfully motivated, because they're not so confused and conflicted uh, as the Israeli mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jonathan, um, what, what would you like to say about that? Well, you know, I, I, uh, in a way, it is totally unfair to the Palestinians that yeah. we have to pay for the sins of uh, Europe and Christian Europe and for thousands of years of anti-Semitism and for the Holocaust. Uh, and, 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 and I tell my Palestinian friends also that uh, even though it is unfair, we have to deal with it. Somehow we will never be free until the Jews are healed from this trauma that they have underwent. The problem is that uh, any kind of empowerment on our part only reinforces that trauma rather than heals it. You know, I thought that maybe if Palestinians used more nonviolence, which is something I believe in, maybe that can help. And, and Palestinians have tried to use nonviolence. In Gaza, they tried to actually peacefully walk towards the fence, and they had 62 people actually killed by snipers in one day. Uh, I, I still believe in nonviolence, uh, but uh, for most Palestinians, uh, they say they, this doesn't work. The only thing that works, the only thing they understand is the language of force. It's, it's, it's very strange that that's both sides say the same thing. That the other side only understands the language of violence and force. And so we, we feed each other's uh, prejudices, each other's fears, each other's uh, traumas, each other's uh, phobias. Uh, and and uh, I'm not saying it's easy to overcome these things, but I'm also saying that we really also need help from outside. And by help, I don't mean we need more money and more weapons. <laughs> we need somebody who tells us, stop, you cannot do that. You cannot go any further. There, there, there are rules. There are principles. There are. There is international law, very important. Uh, you cannot just have, uh, do whatever you want. I think Rifat is on yeah, the line. Yeah, and Rifat is uh, on the line. Thank you um, very much, um, Rifat Al-Arir for joining us from Gaza City. Tell us what the situation looks like right now where you are. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the speakers and the listeners. Uh, first thing is that I'm in total darkness now, not only the home, but the whole area. Uh, we almost ran out of electricity and the internet uh, was, was also you know, working, the connection. Yeah. We have talked about Israel cutting the internet off also. So we have been trying to ration, keep some uh, fuel for the generator for probably a, a couple of more uh, weeks where we turned in and the generator for uh, two day for two three hours per day and charge the batteries etc. Other than this it's complete and utter de- de- devastation. I have said this term and it keeps getting worse every every time. Uh, the destruction with uh, what Israel is doing, the systematic extermination with the Palestinians, the number of bombs, the intensity of the bombing. Uh, targeting Palestinians in their homes as, as they sleep, uh, and actually pushing people like in Israel pushes all those uh, uh, neighborhoods in Shudaya and Jabalia and Yunis and Island to, 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 uh, to city centers or the inner parts of the city. It means that many of those people will go to schools, but also a lot more are going to go to join to, to stay with their family. And now 90% of those kids we speak about, and this is from two hours, if this is, if I update the statistics probably now more than 2,000 kills. But I checked it was 1,800 Palestinians, 90% of them killed in their homes as they slept in families, were hosting families and relatives and neighbors. And Israel told people to leave to safer areas. And uh, uh, 500 and uh, 83 of those killed are children. Gaza has 2.3 million people. More than uh, uh, half of them are, are children under the, the age of, uh, of, of 18. Uh, when you speak about this huge number of, of kids killed, of family, young men, civilians, young men, women, elderly people, uh, people in the streets, street vendors, uh, uh, this systematic and intense, intense way, what Israel is doing is genocide. I, somebody said this is a big word to use. I said, but it is what it is. And this is what Israeli officials are saying, speaking about wiping Gaza out, turning it into a city of, of tent. But the most horrific development is that came this morning here in Gaza. Uh, Israel ordering more than one uh, a million Palestinians to move to the uh, 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 southern side of, uh, of the Gaza Strip, which is in 24 hours, it's impossible. It's impossible. There are uh, so many old people, people with disabilities, the infrastructure uh, is damaged, destroyed, the, the roads are damaged, and Israel targeted people leaving. Hundreds of thousands of people left Gaza, North Gaza, Gaza City to the middle area and southern parts of Gaza Strip. And there were two bombings targeting two cars, killing things and injuring others. So it's not safe anywhere. And many people decided, uh, I, I consulted to, 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 to my wife, I said, what should we do? And I shall see one of my friends or uh, my students maybe and stay with them in the middle area, she said. But where should we go with all, all these kids we have and the, the world being dangerous? 
if we're targeting people wherever they are, it doesn't mean that people in the middle area and Rafah and Khanunas are safe. Mainly reports were coming that their two cars were bombed on their way to Iraq. So hundreds of thousands are still in the Gaza city, in the north even, uh, saying that uh, uh, either it's going to bomb us anyway, so we better stay at the dignity of our, of our homes. And many of them believing that we don't want another displacement, another Nakba. We're not going to let Israel get away with this, but what do we have to defend ourselves? Nothing. This is what's going on in, in Gaza. It's completely uh, 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 genocide happening live on TV, extermination. At least, at least it is ethnic cleansing and displacement of native Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, how is the siege affecting all of you, the, the, the fact that Israel is not allowing food and water and fuel and electricity and medicine to uh, get through to those of you who are still, well, I mean, to all of you, really, in the Gaza Strip. Yeah. How, how, what's going on uh, in that sense? There are three important stages here. Uh, the occupation itself is a constant act of siege and suffocation because it limits freedom of movement and travel and import and export. So when the Israeli occupation started uh, more than seven decades ago, there was a siege in Palestine. But in Gaza in particular, in 2006, uh, after the elections, uh, uh, Israel heightened the siege even more. Uh, in, 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 in the many campaigns of destruction, it bombed factories, businesses, anything that would give sustainability to Palestinians. The, the, power, the only power plant we had in Gaza was bombed twice. The airport was, was destroyed. We didn't have ports. We can uh, travel by sea. Uh, we are surrounded. Even uh, uh, the Rafah the border are also controlled, and Israel had a strong say in. Uh, in, in, its, in the way it, it opened. But in the past week, uh, Gallant Israeli War Minister Walken and also did the complete and total siege. So imagine the three levels here. We are already impoverished. The siege, the blockade, the 15 year old blockade in Gaza meant that they starve us, in, like they, they allow food enough so that we don't starve. But you can't sustain yourself. You can't, for example, store for a long time because there will always be Israeli limitations. But now we have nothing. Uh, we've seen Israeli soldiers, not Israeli water authorities, whatever, turning the taps off, preventing water, Palestinian water, from coming to, uh, to the Gaza Strip. And one, somebody commented on this on Twitter saying, wow, that's, that's heroic. You ran away. You were beaten, you were humiliated by modestly armed and trained Palestinian fighters, and now you send soldiers to turn these maps off the water off. No electricity, no medicine means that the, the hospitals will collapse, the babies in incubators will, 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 will die, the people, the injured people in, 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 in comas, in serious, no operation. And no electricity means no water. Uh, the, what, what, the only way that we can survive for a couple of weeks maximum, depending on where you are, what you know, precautions you have, is that we have learned a lot. The building where we are, we have a generator, 
but because in normal days we have only about 10 hours of electricity per day and now zero so the generator usually turns on uh, for six seven uh, days uh, hours per day but now because we are rationing the fuel it's around three hours so we can you know pump the water because the water doesn't come directly to the beach in Gaza. We pump it and fill the tanks. And this is uh, what the beach is doing. And uh, um, three days ago, Israel bombed the entrance of uh, Rafah Kosen. So we can go out. And I think there were reports Israel threatening any aid tracks or fuel trucks coming from Egypt to try to, you know, ease that situation here. Yeah, and I want to um, just say to our listeners that I know it's hard to hear Rafat. The the line is very shaky, uh, but I hope you um, are making an effort because this is a voice from Gaza City. This is a voice from um, where really a genocidal um, campaign is being uh, launched and lodged and um, I if, if you um, if, if it's very hard to understand you can uh, get back to the show when it is part of the archives and listen perhaps more um, carefully so uh, Rifat um, you mentioned the hospital And I think there's only one hospital, and I heard last night on the BBC from uh, a UN representative that there have been, by then, at least 34 attacks on um, medical um, installations. I, I don't know if it, if it includes the yeah. Shifa, but tell us about that. There, there are uh, a few hospitals, not many, not enough. But uh-huh. the Shefa Hospital is the major uh, hospital, the main hospital, especially in the Gaza city. The first thing, all the major roads leading to Shefa Hospital were bombarded just last time. Every time, early in the morning, mm-hmm. the municipal workers come, expose themselves to Israeli fire, and they try to, you know, fix the roads, and then they are bombed again. And Israel targeted ambulances, My last uh, figure was that at least seven ambulances, uh, seven uh, medics, paramedics were, were killed by Israel, four of them belonging to the Red Crescent in the most horrific crime, uh, uh, one of the most horrific crimes that Israel committed in these past few days. The, the Red Crescent coordinated with the Israeli authorities, occupation authorities, and they let them get to an area where there are people trapped under the rubble. When they got to that area, they were bombed, killing four instantly. And this there was really an appall and anger from the Arab president about the, the death of their, uh, their colleagues. And Israel killed other uh, 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 paramedics uh, two days earlier. And the UN, again, um, just remembering, recalling the stats from two or three days, it could have doubled. The UN said that 20 of its Uh, uh, run cases, including schools and medics, where uh, clinics, sorry, were damaged or, or targeted. Uh, uh, 16 people sheltering in and schools were injured, two of them uh, in critical condition. And this happens because, uh, again, the intensity, the, the, the kind of, of, of missiles, 
a number of countries that Israel throws one after the other. Uh, again, for, for, for many years, as Palestinians would always tell the world about this, but sadly nobody would listen. But now Israeli officials, for the first time, I think, were not after precision. We are, we are after destruction and damage. We, we know this. We've known this. We've seen this for decades as Palestinians. So the destruction that happens, if Israel drops a bomb on a particular building, it means the whole block would either be demolished. I'm, I'm sure you saw the pictures of some of the pictures. Mm-hmm. Or it means the whole you know, would be obliterated or at least uh, the, 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 the remaining houses rendered uh, unlivable. Un, 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 un yeah, the, the, the worst case scenario here is that the, the, uh, the thing that is going to receive the most fatal blows uh, is going to be the hospital, the Shifa hospital, and the people, the babies, the injured, the women, and uh, the men. Yeah. I want to quickly thank um, three more uh, people who donated to us, Judy and Damon. Thank you each so very much. And we also have a first-time donor, Alicia, who says, uh, praying for aligned and sovereign peace and healing. Thank you very much to the three of you. And we have about four more minutes uh, for you all to uh, um, donate if you are so inclined. Um Back to you, Rifat. Um, journalists are not allowed inside um, Gaza, and CNN reported several days ago that seven journalists have already p- been killed in Israel and Gaza uh, just since Saturday. Um, talk about that, please. And, you know, that is why it is so important to be able to talk to you um, and know what's actually going on there. Go ahead, please. Uh, the, the, the thing is that is, Israel is basing a lot of this on a huge campaign of misinformation. The fake stories about the rapes, the decapitation uh, of the kids, and the you know uh, the, the many stories that came one after the other that they found miraculously Hamas fighters uh, who didn't take their own flags with them were picking uh, uh, some of them had an ISIS flag. So these were all fake stories one after the other because Israel is the most powerful weapon is disinformation and deceiving the, 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 the especially people in America. And one way to prevent truth is not to allow journalists inside. Israel that is not allowing journalists inside Gaza because they're going to see for their own. Maybe they're going to be targeted by, by Israel's systematic indiscriminate attacks everywhere. And the, the other thing is that, yes, Israel targets Palestinian uh, journalists. The last number from uh, yesterday, I think, was seven journalists killed. And in one occasion, on one occasion, uh, usually, uh, uh, in one occasion, Israel targeted three at one, uh, one they were staying in one place where uh, journalists were positioning themselves to follow, you know, the ambulances coming to the hospital and three of them passed away instantly. Uh, and what's going on next is to silence uh, people on social media, whether by you know censoring content. Facebook announced that it deleted thousands and thousands of of false Palestinian content. Twitter is a little bit you know also deleting uh, stuff, uh, but also the no electricity means no uh, uh, citizen journalists, no yeah. people live from Gaza. You no, know, and the, if the internet is goes off. 
means we're going to be in total darkness. But the people can imagine. My, my idea is that for everybody, always imagine the worst is happening. If we go offline, it means Israel is even doubling and quadrupling its, its atrocities. Mm-hmm. And we want to thank uh, quickly Don to uh, refer to. We have about an, a minute left. What can our listeners do to um, try and end this horrendous situation? More pressure, more pressure on politicians. And this, what's happening in America in particular is crazy. All across Europe also, that politicians coming out not only in support of Israel's genocidal extermination practices, but also calling for Israel to wipe Gaza out, to finish them off, Nikki Haley says. Marco Rubio also said something like this. Lindsey Graham says the worst things ever. Uh, these are savages that need to wipe, be wiped out uh, amidst this uh, horrible, horrible incitement and dehumanization of Palestinians. I think the people need to try to pressure some of those uh, politicians, or at least ones whose opinions, you know, can be impacted a little bit. But people need to speak, communicate with the Palestinian narrative directly. Go to social media. Don't wait for the CNN or the Fox News or BBC or whatever to tell you what the Palestinians, uh, what the, the Christians are doing. See for yourself. Follow them. Learn from them. Interact with them. And the most important thing is the pressure that has to happen in the streets. People are taking to the streets in the hundreds of thousands nowadays in the Arab world and across Europe. Hopefully this is going to mobilize more across, across Europe and, and in America to make yeah. Israel stop. Like speaker before me saying, there has to be something to stop doing this. There has to be something to be done. Yeah. Take a breath, a truce at least for, 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 for a couple of days. And then let's talk about how this can be solved. Yeah, the fact we, I, I'm so sorry, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us from Gaza City with a little bit of uh, power that you have really appreciated. And thank you, Jonathan Kutab, for joining us from Bethlehem. Thank you, uh, Yahav Zohar, from, uh, f- who, who is from Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, thank you all very much. Um, really appreciate being able to talk to you. Thanks to Jade, Summer, and Evan. I'm Esti Dinor. Stay tuned. We'll talk again next week. Thanks to those of you who donated, too. Bye-bye.